Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Hey, 180 family. No, it's not COVID. It's not my COVID office. I'm at home. As you know, those of us who are in New York, uh, Hurricane Henry is visiting us, and we've canceled our in-person service and going virtual. And this is why I'm here. Uh, so welcome. Whether you were already watching from different parts of the country or the world, just want to welcome you today. Um, unfortunate, we can't be live, uh, but we have to uh, call a contingency. We wanted everyone, especially families and people riding the subways, not to be flooded or gust of wind. And we're going to be up to 75 miles per hour, so we wanted everyone to be safe. So we called it, and we think it was the best decision with the information we had. So. Uh, will you join me now in practicing the rule of life just in a second? But let me just give you two quick things, okay? Next week, uh, the 29th, would be the day in the sun. So please RSVP if you have not, so we know how much food to buy. Uh, that's the first thing. So keep that in mind that we will not be back in physical uh, at the theater uh, next week. We'll be at at Central Park, that's the first day. The week after that, Labor Day weekend, we'll be at the retreat. If you have an RSVP for that, please do so immediately. Okay, so the, those two things I want to keep in mind. Today, uh, I will not be speaking. I had a message planned, but we did have uh, a good friend and a mentor, Daryl Johnson, who I've qu- quoted many times during the last decade is one of the best expositors of our time, in my opinion. Uh, CT profiled him. He does a lot of sermons for preaching.com with Christianity Today. Uh, professor at Regent College was Bono's former pastor. And he will be working with us many uh, times as we go virtual during holidays even. We plan to do virtual services during holidays to give people extra travel time. And so I want to welcome Daryl today uh, for this message that we did have prepared at COVID, but before we went back to meet in person. So Daryl will speak today, Dr. Daryl Johnson, a powerful word about the Father's heart. So let's practice the rule of life now and join P. Lid and the worship team in virtual worship. Okay, let's exhale. Let it, let it all out, let it come. Bring your frustrations, anxieties, toxicities in the house of the Lord at the feet of Christ, the feet of Jesus. The Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for us. And then inhale, waves of mercy, waves of grace. It's his presence. Amen. Hey, Sam, it's been really good to connect lately. 
and to find out more about what is going on in the life of 180 Church. You're all located in a very strategic place in Manhattan. And I understand that God has allowed you to be able to study in some significant universities and that you are involved in work that is truly kingdom work on the front lines in all kinds of different disciplines. So I'm excited by what God is doing for 180 Church and through 180 Church. And I look forward to the day when I can actually visit you in person. The Lord bless you. I invite you on this Lord's Day to come with me into a little parable. A little parable that came alive to me while living and serving in the Philippines. From 1985 to 1989, I served as the senior pastor of Union Church of Manila, an international congregation in the heart of that massive city. When I became the pastor, the congregation was made up of people from 35 different countries of the world and from 30 different Christian denominations, which meant that I was always in trouble with somebody for not doing it correctly. During that time in the Philippines, I had the opportunity to travel throughout Asia. I spoke for a pastor's conference at Bang in Bangkok, Thailand. I taught on worship and preaching at a seminary in Tainan, Taiwan. I then was able to spend some time in Beijing, uh, preaching for a congregation based in the Austrian embassy compound in that city. And during that time, my wife Sharon and I experienced the so-called people power revolution, through which I learned more of how the kingdom of God comes into the world and, and how it does not come. The parable into which I invite you this day came alive for me because we were living in Manila in Asia. Let me, let me say that again. The parable came alive for me because we were living in Asia. I do not think it would have come alive for me in the way that it did had the Lord not called us to live in Asia. It is the parable recorded by Luke the physician in verses 5 through 8 of the 11th chapter of his gospel. It's usually called the friend at midnight. But because of what I learned, because I was living in Asia, the parable should be entitled... Well, you will see. Now, as is the case with any of Jesus' parables, we need to hear and see it in its original context, in its original cultural context, and in its original literary context. So, let us read the, the verses both before and after the parable in verses 5 to 8. Let us read from Luke 11, Verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of God. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. He goes to him at midnight and says, 
friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's persistence or boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking? Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that you enabled Luke the physician to do his work, his research, and then to accurately write down the words that we have just read. I pray now in your mercy and grace that you would cause these words to come alive in us as never before, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see, the original context in which Jesus teaches the little parable involves him being asked by his disciples to teach them to pray. After spending time alone in prayer, the first group of disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. You likely know that this is the only thing any of Jesus' first disciples are recorded to have asked him to teach them. There is no record of Lord, teach us to heal. There's no record of Lord, teach us to lead or teach us to counsel, or teach us to cast out demons, or teach us to do justice, or teach us how to change culture, or to teach us to evangelize. Not even, Lord, teach us how to preach. Just, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, why? Because, I think, the first disciples could see that Jesus healing, leading, counseling, liberating, justice, advocating, culture changing, evangelizing, preaching ministry emerges from his relationship with the one he calls Father. And they could see that the key to this relationship is prayer. Jesus is regularly slipping away from the crowd to pray. So, Lord, teach us to pray. I take the request to mean more than, Lord, give us some new prayer technique. I take the request to mean, Lord, teach us what you know about your Father that makes you want to pray. So Jesus teaches them a short form of the Lord's Prayer and then teaches them the little parable, again, usually called the friend at midnight. Clearly, in its original context, Lord, teach us to pray, the parable is intended to make the first disciples and us actually want to pray. Does it? Does it make you want to pray? Luke 11, verse 8. 
I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is friend, yet because of his persistence or boldness, he will get up. Does that make you want to pray? Traditional Western interpretation of the parable, and by Western I mean in European, North American, Australian, has done two things with the parable. Number one, it has said that the parable is about the one who is asking for bread. That is, the parable is about us who pray. And number two, it has said that the parable calls us to persistence in prayer. Verse eight, because of his persistence, or as various other translations have it, because of his boldness or audacity or shameless audacity. It was because of what I learned, because I was living in Asia, that I came to see that the traditional Western interpretation is off the mark and it misses the wonderful thing Jesus is revealing in his parable. As I learned to look at life through a Filipino worldview, which I was discovering was very similar to the Middle Eastern worldview in which Jesus taught, and as I, in that Asian context, learned more about the Middle Eastern worldview through the work of Kenneth Bailey, missionary theologian, who spent 35 years teaching in Lebanon and Syria and Jordan and Israel, I came to see that, number one, the parable is not about the one asking for bread. And number two, the parable is not calling us to persistence. There is a parable in Luke 18, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. That does call us to persistence, but not the parable in Luke 11. Verse 8, because of his persistence or boldness, we now know that is not the right way to translate the word that Jesus uses. Well then, what is the parable all about? In order to see and hear what Jesus is revealing, we need to make five observations. Observation one, the parable begins with a question. Verses five through seven are a question. The only English version, Western version, I know that gets this is the ESV, uh, published in 2001. Most versions begin, verse five, suppose one of you shall have a friend. Now, if you have a study Bible, you'll notice that there is a little notation on top of the word suppose. And that notation is to guide us to what are called marginal readings. And when you look at the marginal reading, you will see the words lit, which one of you? Lit means literally, literally, which one of you? Verses five through seven are a question. In Greek, it's tis ex human, which one of you? It's one long question. Which one of you has a friend and shall go to him at midnight and send? Say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have nothing to set before him. And from inside the house answers, do not bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Which, it's a long question. Which one of you? with the nuance of, can you imagine? Which of you can imagine? I'm going to give the two men in the parable names. 
Mr. Outside and Mr. Inside. Which of you can imagine Mr. Outside receiving a traveling guest at midnight? Which of you can imagine Mr. Outside going to Mr. Inside and asking for help to feed the guest? Which of you can imagine Mr. Inside saying, do not bother me, my family and I have already gone to bed, I cannot get up and help you. Can you imagine such a scenario? Which of you can imagine? So observation one, the parable begins with a question. Observation two, the culturally expected answer. Which of you? The culturally expected answer is, None of us. In the Middle East, you would never hear, go away, I cannot get up and help you. In the West, you can imagine hearing that. In the West, Mr. Inside might call the police or at least the building supervisor. But not in the Middle East. It's simply impossible. I've tested this all over the Middle East. I've asked people in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Armenia, in Nazareth, can you imagine this scenario? And the uniform answer is no, it is impossible. I tested this all over the Philippines. The uniform answer is no. I tested this in Beijing, no. I've asked people living in Vancouver from Hong Kong, Thailand, Vietnam, India, Ethiopia, Iran, and the uniform answer is no. The scenario is culturally impossible. Why? Why impossible? Observation three, essential cultural values at work in the, in the parable. Two essential cultural values of the Middle East and of Asia. They are hospitality and the avoidance of shame. Hospitality and avoidance of shame. These values are at work in a number of ways in the parable. The host, Mr. Outside, must set before his guests more food than he can eat. I was taken by this the first time we were invited into a Filipino home. Sharon and I arrived with our two children, we only had two then, and there was so much food on the table. So I asked who else is coming to dinner and discovered no one else is coming to dinner. There was just no way we were going to eat all the food that I was on the table. So too in my last trip to Hong Kong, there was more food than I could eat, but culturally you're expected to put before the guests more than they can eat. Mr. Outside asks for three loaves of bread. He's asking for the utensils with which to eat the meal. The meal would consist of a kind of stew in a big bowl. Folks would break off a piece of bread from a loaf, dip it into the bowl, and bring the bread with stew on it into their mouth, then break off another piece of bread, dip it into the bowl, and continue the process. Jesus says he, Mr. Inside, will get up and give him as much as he needs because Mr. Outside needs more than the bread. He needs a whole lot more. He's going to have to go to the other neighbors and get some carrots and onions and beans and mushrooms. He has a lot of work to do yet that night. One more way that the cultural dynamics are at work. The guest of Mr. Outside is a guest of the whole village, not just of Mr. Outside. 
Mr. Outside is extending hospitality on behalf of the whole village. Mr. Inside knows he's being asked to play his part. So observation four, the actual word Jesus uses in his parable, verse eight, because of his anidion, A-N-A-I-D-I-A-N. That's the Greek word that is variously rendered as persistence, boldness, audacity. Now get this, in the first century, this word did not mean persistence. It did not develop that meaning until well into the third century AD. If you had a first century dictionary, there were none, but if you had one and you looked up the word anidion, you would, it would not say means persistence. It would say means shamelessness. So in many study Bibles, you'll find a little notation on top of the word persistence or boldness. Again, the notation there is to take you to the marginal reading. And in the marginal reading, it says lit shamelessness or lit avoidance of shame. The newest Greek dictionary scholars have composed lists shamelessness as the primary meaning of the word. Shame is a negative quality. Shamelessness is a positive quality. Middle Eastern cultures are shame-based cultures. So are most Asian and some Hispanic and African. Roman, Greek, British, German, Caucasian, Canadian, American are guilt-based cultures. Yes, in the Middle East there are rules, but daily life is practically governed by shame. Now, not shame as it's used in the West, not in the sense of, oh, I feel so awful about myself, but shame as losing face, shame as losing reputation. In the West, parents discipline their children saying, that is wrong. In the Middle East, parents discipline, discipline their children saying, that is shameful. A fundamental cultural value, I will do anything and everything to avoid bringing shame on myself, on my name, on my family, on my city. Now, I learned this in, in Manila in a number of ways. One never opens a birthday gift at the party. Why? Because if you give me a gift and I do not like it, even if I try to hide it, my displeasure is going to be reflected on my face and it will bring shame on you. So I wait until I get home to open the gift. Then I can respond privately. If I do not like the gift, no one needs to know. And it gives me time to prepare myself to then meet you the next time and be able to give you thanks without this disappointment showing. Uh, when we lived in California before moving to Canada, and we lived in Glendale, California, which is the largest Armenian city outside of Armenia. And our neighbor <clears throat> discovered it was my birthday and she went out and bought me a gift. I'm glad I did not open the gift in her presence because when I took it home, it was this awful purple sweater. I would never wear it anyway. That gave me time to get over how awful this sweater was <clears throat> so I could go back to her and then thank her for her lovely gift. Another way I learned about avoidance of shame was through the so-called third-party reconciliation process. If I have an issue with you, I do not go to you directly, at least not at first. 
I go to another friend with whom I can freely express myself. I can get out my disgust or suspicion or anger. Then my friend goes to you and he expresses my concerns. And then you are free to express your disgust about my disgust or free to express your regret that, yeah, as a matter of fact, you did hurt me. And then we can finally come and meet one-on-one -on -one without either of us losing face. Would that Western political leaders understood this and took time to find ways to save the face of those with whom they disagree. So, anideon, avoidance of shame at all costs. Well, if anideon means avoidance of shame, why have Western Bibles so long rendered it as persistence or boldness or audacity? Well, partly because Westerners could not get their mind around this concept of shame. It's still hard. But mostly because Westerners could not understand how this quality applies to the man asking for bread. How could, they could not see how this quality applies to Mr. Outside. Why does one need to be shameless to ask for bread? How does one lose face? asking for help to extend hospitality to a late-night visitor. Well, well, well. The question leads us to the fifth observation. Observation five. Ready? Anideon does not refer to the one asking for bread. It does not apply to Mr. Outside. Anideon refers to the person being asked for bread, to Mr inside. It was Kenneth Bailey who helped me see this. He calls us to look very carefully at verse 8 of the parable. And in verse 8, there are six clauses. Even though he will not get up, who is the he? Mr. Inside. And he give him anything to eat, who is the he? Mr. Inside. Because he is his friend, who is the he? Mr. Inside, yet because of his anideon, whose anideon, whose avoidance of shame, I'll come back to that in a moment, he will get up, who is the he, Mr. Inside, and he will give him as much as he needs. Who is the he? Mr. Inside. If Mr. Inside is the subject of five of the clauses, is it not reasonable to assume he's the subject of all six clauses? The quality of anideon refers to the guy being asked. It applies to Mr. Inside. Because of Mr. Inside's shamelessness, Mr. Inside will get up and give Mr. Outside as much as he needs. Are, are you hearing, Jesus? Do you, do you see what he's revealing to us? Even if Mr. Inside hates Mr. Outside... Mr. Inside will get up and give Mr. Outside everything that he needs because he does not want the story to go around the village the next morning that he did not help extend hospitality. The point is, there is something that goes beyond friendship. It is the avoidance of shame. I'm not going to damage my reputation. I'm not going to lose face. I do not want the rumor to go around Vancouver the next morning that I did not help Vancouver extend hospitality to a late night traveler. 
I do not want anyone to say to me the next morning, why did you fail to help? I do not want to hear shame on you. That was shameful of you. Okay, now we're ready to hear and see what Jesus is revealing in his parable, and it is stunning. Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus gives a short form of the Lord's Prayer, and then he teaches the parable. The parable is not about the one who is asking. The parable is about the one who is being asked. The parable is not about us who pray. The parable is about the Father to whom we pray. When you pray, say, Father, hallow your name. Father, honor your name. And he does, he always does. And in his parable, Jesus is saying his father has a nidion. His father has avoidance of shame. Or to put it in more familiar biblical terms, the father always acts in a way that honors his name. The father will never shame his name. Wow. And what is the father's name? Many names. El Shaddai, El Rophe, Jehovah Jireh, on it goes. But the name above every name is the name Yahweh. The name above every name is I am who I am. The living God meets Moses at a burning bush. And God says to Moses, I hear, I see my people's affliction. I hear their cry. I know, I feel their suffering. And I come down to deliver. This is a new revelation for Moses. And so he asks, what is your name? A new revelation requires a new name. And God replies, I am who I am, Yahweh. My name is Yahweh, I am. Not I am in a philosophical sense, as though God was contemplating his own existence and, and was saying, I was being aloof. No, I am who I am in a relational sense. I am who I am with you and for you. Yahweh, the sacred name. I am who I am with you and for you. This is God's covenant name. In every covenant God made with humanity, we find the phrase, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's God's way of saying, all that I am, I place at your disposal. All that makes me be God, I place at your disposal. All my power, my mercy, my creativity, my wisdom, all of it, I place at your disposal. I am there with you and for you. That, all that wonder is packed into this name Yahweh. And Jesus is telling us in our, this parable that his father will always honor that name. The father will never shame that name. God has gone public with his name. This is who I am. And he's placed the name on his people. These are Yahweh's people. God said, I am there with you and for you. And he does not want to hear the neighbors hear that someone came to him asking for help and was told to go away. Now, if you've read your Bible, you realize this is how the people of the Old Testament prayed. They implicitly understood all this. For your name's sake, they would pray. For example, Moses, he's out in the desert after the exodus from Egypt. God's people have been disobedient. They're grumbling and they're complaining. And God says, he's had it with them. And the best thing would do, to do would be to destroy them. Remember how Moses prays? Remember Exodus 32, 11 to 14. What are the Egyptians going to think? You said the Israelites are your people. 
You are there with them and for them. If you destroy them, you will shame your name. And what does the Exodus text says, say? God changed his mind. He would honor his name. The psalmist got this, especially David. Psalm 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. You said that if I came to you and confessed my sin, you would forgive me. This is at the heart of the new covenant. I will forgive your transgressions and your sins I will remember no more. Pardon me for your name's sake. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins. Faithful to what? To his name. I'm banking on your name. Pardon me. Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Boy, the prophet Ezekiel got this big time. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and following. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you've profaned, you've shamed among the nations where I sent you. I will prove myself holy. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will save you from all your cleanness. I will cleanse you. Why? And God says, for my name's sake. Do you now see how Jesus' parable answers the disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray? Jesus is giving them and us a wonderful assurance in prayer. Yes, the Father loves us. Oh, how the Father loves us. Read Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal father. Oh, how he loves us. But even if the Father does not love us, something else is going on. The Father loves his name. He has avoidance of shame. Jesus says you can count on us. The Father will always honor his name. It turns out that God's commitment to his name translates into a commitment to his people. For the sake of his great name, Yahweh will not reject you. It's the great assurance Samuel speaks to Israel after Israel wants a human king like all the other peoples of the world. That is, after Israel implicitly says that we want a different king than Yahweh. Oh, how shameful. Yet, 1 Samuel 12, 22, for the sake of his great name, Yahweh will not reject you. I said, you are my people. I am there with you and for you, and I will not shame my name. Oh. This is why then pastor theologian John Piper can write, it was God's pleasure to join you to himself in such a way that his name is at stake in your destiny. Wow, God's pleasure to join you to himself in such a way that his name is at stake in your destiny. Or another way of saying it, it was God's good pleasure to possess you in such a way that what happens to you reflects on his name. The Father's name is, I am with you and for you, I give you myself. Which helps us understand what Jesus says after the parable. Luke 11, verses 9 to 10. Ask, seek, knock. It's, it is not a call to persistence, as though we have to wear God down. Rather, it's a great assurance. Assurance? Yes, why? 
ask, seek, knock, because when you do, something always happens. Jesus is saying something always happens when you pray. Ask, seek, knock, they are in the present tense. And in the Greek language, the present tense conveys continual action. So literally, Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Why? Well, verse 10, receive, uh, receive, find, open. Receive and find are in the present tense. Is receiving, is finding. Listen to this. Jesus is saying, the one who keeps on asking is receiving. The one who keeps seeking is finding. He's saying that we are to keep praying because every time we pray, something is happening. What is happening? Mother Teresa of India answers well. She says, we are expanding our capacity to receive. As we keep on asking and seeking, we are expanding our capacity to receive. To receive what? God. We're expanding our capacity to receive God. Therefore, Luke 11, verse 13, will not the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking? Will not the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking? African theologian St. Augustine of the third century said that the Holy Spirit is the embodiment of the love relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. The Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights in the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the embodiment of all that love and delight. And the Father and the Son have publicly declared their promise to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. That's why Jesus calls the Spirit the promise of the Father. And the Father will never be shamed. He will keep his promise. Oh, how grateful I am to have lived in Asia and to learn what I otherwise may have never learned. So, can you imagine Mr. Outside receiving a guest at midnight, needing to feed him, and going to Mr. Inside, asking for bread and being told to go away? No, it is impossible. Mr. Inside will get up and he will give Mr. Outside as much as he needs. Can you imagine you and I going to God the Father in the name of God the Son and asking for more of the Holy Spirit and be told to go away? No, it's impossible. The Father of the Lord Jesus Christ will get up and give you as much of himself as you need. Let us pray. What of God do you need this day? What of of God do you need in order to extend hospitality to others around you? What of God do you need? Ask. In the asking, you will receive. Something always happens. God always gives more of himself. Oh, dear Jesus, 
Thank you for revealing what we would have never deduced on our own. Thank you for revealing the shameless heart of your Father. Help us live the rest of our lives alive to this great wonder. Amen.
Will you now pray, bow your heads for the benediction. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. God bless you. Until next time, can't wait to see you next week. Bye-bye now. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church, and we want to thank you all for joining us for today's Sunday service. Before we finish up today, we have some community news that we just want to share with everyone, starting with tithes and offering. For all of our members, we just want to remind and encourage you to continue to keep God at the center of your finances by tithing faithfully. You can make your offering through Venmo at Church180. You can make an offering through Chase Quick Pay at offering at 180church.tv. Or if you'd like to make your offering through PayPal, you can follow the link on our website at 180church.tv. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline, which you can find at 5397prayer or at prayer at 180church.tv. And this is a great resource for those moments when we feel like we need some support and some prayer, not only for ourselves, but for our family members, our coworkers, and all of our loved ones. Our prayer team is there, ready, willing, and able to lift up your prayers. So just send them along. Again, it's 5397prayer or prayer at 180church.tv. And when you feel like God has moved in those areas, make sure you send them a praise request as well so that we can all celebrate what God is doing in your life. Our next announcement is about Small Group, which is smaller pockets of our community where we come together to discuss the Sunday sermon, to really see and encourage each other where God is leading us, and to really just do life together with one another. Because even though we're still social distancing, community is still a vital part of our lives. And this is a great place where you can find that. All of our groups are meeting virtually right now, so no matter what group and what stage of life you're in, or where you are located, we have a group that would be perfect for you. If you're interested in joining a group, you can email Pastor Billy at billykim.180 at gmail.com. On the topic of community, we also have a number of different social media handles and channels where you can follow us, like us, and love us during the week. We have a Tumblr page at 180BRG where we post a chapter of the Bible a day so you can read through the Bible with us. We also have a Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy, our head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter handle at Dr. Sammy Kim. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180 Church and also at 180BRG, where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. Next, we have the virtual 180 Cafe on Discord, which is a great way for all of us here to keep in touch with one another. There you can share what's going on in your life and join a conversation about gardening and gaming, about sports and entertainment, basically anything that you can think of. It's a great way for all of us to stay in touch with one another, both on your computer and on your mobile device. And lastly, if you've been blessed by our Sunday worship led by Pastor Lydia, you can visit the 180 Church Studios on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Here you'll find a playlist of all the worship songs we've featured every Sunday, and it's perfect for when you want to immerse yourself in worship during the week. That's all of our community news. Once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us this Sunday, and we hope to see you again soon. Bye.